the book of John. I want to go to John, the 12th chapter. I was here a couple of weeks ago when we were um, meeting and uh, just want to uh, continue a thought that the Lord put in my heart. I've been looking at this 12th chapter of John quite a bit. Um, I probably get it from my dad, but I, I, really, I really love to read the book of John. I think it's a, there's some, um, we, have, we have a lot of history, we have a lot of, uh, of detail depicted in a lot of the other chapters, or other books, the Gospels, but when we get to the book of John, we just constantly see the revelation of Christ. Jesus is, is the focus of the book, he is clearly the focus of the whole book, but he is the focus of the book of John, um, so, so uh, direct and so pointed. Uh, I feel like John had a laser on Christ, and he's just pointing everything. In fact, the scripture says that all the law and the prophets prophesied until John. It funneled down to John, but then John pointed and he said, Behold, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So John, I think, you know, John the Baptist had this, had this direction of pointing everything to Christ. And I think we see that again in the book of John. John the Revelator, they call him. That he had the same, the same passion to point everything to Christ. And so that's what we want to see tonight. Amen? Amen. John chapter 12 and verse 21. I just want to read um, this one verse. And then down to verse 37, I want to skip. But first, first this verse 21, it says, uh, The same came, well, let's look at verse 20, so we have the context. And there were certain Greeks, or Gentiles, among them that came up to worship at the feast, which was the Passover. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida, of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. That's been the topic that I have been looking at in John chapter 12. Sir, we would see Jesus. A cry that I think needs to be reestablished in the church. Amen. Pastor preached about the pandemic going on in the church. It's not a pandemic of a lack of services, a lack of ministries. It's a lack of the revelation of who Jesus is. And so we want to see Jesus. Amen? Amen. Skip down to the 37th verse. But though he had done... So many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the saying of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, he hath blinded their eyes, and he has hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things, and Isaiah, uh, when he saw the glory uh, and spake of him. Verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Lord, we ask you tonight that you would help me. God, to deliver what you have put in my heart. I pray that we would be enriched by your word, that we would grow by it, Lord, because we need to. And we ask you, God, that you would have your way. We just submit to your leadership and to your rule. Jesus, we pray that your work be accomplished in our lives, and we give you all the glory, and everybody say amen. amen. 
what you feed yourself, um, that portion of your life is going to grow strong. I heard uh, an analogy, a story, um, just about the spirit and the flesh. Now, I'm not preaching on this, but I want to set you up with this. Uh, so there's a, this thought that we can kind of skate through life, we can skate through our spiritual life just kind of believing, just to have this idea of believing in Jesus. And I want to deal with that tonight. Uh, I, w- I want to talk about my confession, my confession. But this idea that we can believe in Jesus and that we somehow are going to make it just isn't going to work. And I heard this story this preacher gave about a, a guy who fought dogs. And he would fight, they would go to the dog fights and, and he would bet on the dog and he always bet on the winner 100% of the time. And so the guys came up to him and said, how, how do you know what dog's going to win? How is it? What's your, what's your trick? And he said, the trick is that I own both the dogs. And one of the dogs I feed all week long and one of the dogs I starve all week long. And the dog that eats always wins. I think that's true of our life. We have a spiritual man and we've got a fleshly man and we are in a war in our lives and the dog that eats is going to win every time. You need to be feasting on the Word of God. You need to have God's Word penetrating the hardness of your heart. You're never going to be victorious if you don't allow God to grow your spiritual life and shrink your fleshly life. So belief is not what I want to talk about tonight. That's where most people start and stop in America with their faith in Christ. It is just simply belief. See, do you believe in Jesus? Yes, I believe in Jesus. But what does that even mean? Is belief the standard of salvation? Is it simply belief or is there something greater? So tonight I want to look at the power of our confession. I think confession is something really important. In verse 21, just to recover because I preached this last last time I spoke, but all of Israel was was very busy in ritual. The Passover feast is at hand and the the city of Jerusalem is, is packed full of people. All there to do their ritual, all there to be a part of the sacrifice, all there to participate in this religious ceremony. It's full. The the high priest is preparing, the leaders are preparing, and of all the people that, that could come to find Jesus at this time, it was a group of Gentiles. Why they're there, we do not know. But in the middle of this of this uh, feast, of, of a long feast, a week-long feast, in the middle of it, some point, they come and they say to Philip, we would see Jesus. I don't think, to put it in English terms, I don't think they were coming and saying, dude, where's Jesus at? I don't think that's what they were trying to get across here. I think that, the, that this group of Gentiles had gotten to the heart of the issue of what this was supposed to be about. For some reason, out of all the people, and this struck me, and I, I've, been, I've been thinking about it for the last couple weeks still, they could have said, I want to see the high priest. They could have said, hey, we want to see um, the leader of the Sanhedrin. We want to see the leader of the Pharisees. We, we want to see somebody important. Jesus is maligned. He is rejected. He is scoffed at. He is not popular. And yet this group of, of 
people say, we want to see Jesus. And, and I, I want to draw that parallel because I think this is the, is the confession that I want to look at tonight. I think the, re- the request comes at the very heart of what confession means. It's way more than just being interested in who Jesus is. It's way more than going through religious ceremony or being a part of a church service or getting uh, adopted into membership or becoming a part of a denomination or an organization. That's not at all what God's interested in. God is interested in our confession. And there are so many who find great comfort Listen, church, because this is really important. And and I know I'm preaching to the choir tonight. But there are many who find great comfort in complicating religion. The more complicated it is, the more you need me. Right? So if I can make it so hard that you can't figure it out, then you can't figure it out without me. And then I tell you what it means. This went on for all of time. We can see this all through the Catholic uh, you know, works from after the apostles in 300 or so. You see that start all the way through the dark ages, the end, you know, and, and all the torturing and all that went on. And what they hated was the fact that at some point somebody's going to print a Bible that people are going to be able to pick it up, read the word of God, and realize they don't need a priest. And they're going to find Jesus. And so the less complicated religion gets, it doesn't mean that God stops with apostles, as pastor preached today, not at all. But if you, if you need me for your salvation, then I'm a part of it, and I'm not. Everybody say amen. Look at your neighbor and say, thank God Pastor Roddy's not a part of my salvation. I think that's a good thing. I'm glad I'm not a part of your salvation. I think we see this with the Apostle Paul. and he, he, he was, I don't want you to put my name on it. You're, well, I'm baptized and I'm, I'm, a, I'm under Apollo's leadership, Apollos' leadership, and I'm under this one's leadership. And Paul says, no, no, I don't want you to worry about any of that. We're all working on the same team, amen? So the more complicated, we even see this address with Jesus where he looks at the scribes and he says, you've made it so difficult that nobody can get in. You won't let anybody into the kingdom, and you won't go into the kingdom yourself. We don't stand here in in leadership. We don't stand here to prevent you from entering the kingdom. We stand here as the doormen, trying to get the door open so that you can see into the kingdom, so that you can choose to pursue Jesus with your whole heart. That's what my job is. Not to get in your way, but to get out of the way. My job is to reveal Christ, not to conceal him. So in all of this, there is strength in complicating it. The more complicated it is, the better it is for big religion. And I I love church. I am not speaking against it at all. We gather all the time. We have church more than most churches do. So I don't mean it in any way to speak against it. It is the body of Christ and it is vital to us. But we are not trying to complicate it. I love, we said it this week, that it says that the gospel is so simple that even a fool can't err therein. Somebody very simple. Somebody without a whole lot of education. Somebody without a whole lot of learning. It's so simple that all you have to do is say, you know what? I believe who Jesus says he is and I'm going to follow him every day the rest of my life. That's what you need to know. Sure, there's depths and heights and we can't, we can't ever uh, exhaust the knowledge of who Jesus is and, and the revelation of that in our lives. We'll never exhaust it. It's always, always uh, available that we can find more depth and more pursuit of that. 
But it, it is so simple that all you need to know is who Jesus says he is and I'm going to follow him. That's the simplicity of the gospel. I said this before and I want to repeat it. Satan's not bothered by your sacrifice. He's not worried about your ritual. Satan's not bothered by your convictions. I, I, I know that there's been times, I, I remember when the tambourine team thing was really big and there was this idea that people were getting up and playing certain songs and doing certain moves and that if you shook the tambourine in a certain way, that Satan was like, ooh, I'm going to tell you that's not true. <laughs> that's just not true. He, he's not bothered by music. In fact, pastor said it today about music. In fact, he was a musical being, right? He's not bothered by your, by your conviction, by your ritual, by all that you want to do to complicate this thing. He's not intimidated by it. In fact, as I said before, the more you want to focus on that, the happier he is. Because if you're focused on that, then you're not focused on Jesus. So, Pastor Rodney, you preach about living right. I do. I believe it. I live right for Jesus. That, the focus is on Jesus. The focus is not on the living. If we make it about the living, we're missing the mark. The focus is on pleasing him with my life and really pursuing him. It's about the pursuit. I don't think God's interested in your perfection. I think God is interested in your pursuit. How many would admit you're not perfect? Don't look at your husband or wife when you raise your hand there. Admitting, I'm not perfect, but I am pursuing that completion in my life. That, that teleos, that perfection that the scripture talks about. That's what I'm pursuing. So Satan is, is not bothered by, by all of those things. All of the ritual, all of the conviction, all of the, uh, of the rigmarole that goes along with religion. But what Satan is bothered by is your confession. Satan is bothered by your confession. He doesn't want you to simplify. He doesn't want you to streamline it down. He doesn't want you to make it about this simple statement. I need to see Jesus. Like I said, uh, uh, and I'm getting off of what I said, so we'll get on to the new stuff here in a minute. But like I said uh, um, the last time I spoke... We can, we can look at every denomination and all of, these, all of these groups and they're trying to, they have their calling card and they have their focuses and, and whether it's this tri-person Godhead or this, this baptismal formula or whether it's all of these things, all they are is distractions away from the glory of who Jesus is. And what we need to be declaring and what we're praying for is not that denominations all wrong and not that everybody else is wrong and we're the only ones right. No, we should be praying that revival begin to break out in people's hearts, that they would begin to cry out, I'm not satisfied with religion. I'm not satisfied with doing duty. I'm not satisfied with habit. I'm not looking for church. I need to find Jesus. That's what we need to be praying for in our country. The problem is, is if we just looked at Jesus, we'd have a lot less denomination. Everybody say amen. If we just looked at Jesus, we would have a lot less division. Because we would realize that the things that are dividing us are things many times that are not important. Because Jesus is everything. Amen. So there is something powerful about our confession. The word confession here in the Greek is a compound word. 
It is the word, and many of you know this, but it is the word homologia. It's two words. Homo, we understand pretty quickly in our language. It means the same. And logia means thought or logic. It's the word logos, and it does not mean speak necessarily, but the reasoning behind the speaking. The reason for the speech is what it means. So it is the connection of the same thought. This is the idea of confession. It is the same thought. So the same thought is what? Really, it kind of gets to the root at that we are trying to get exactly the same thought that is in my heart coming out of my mouth. That's what confession ultimately results in. Now, really, when we see in the scripture, it says, let all manner of conversation. Anybody read that? Now, I don't know what, what version of the Bible you're reading and doesn't really matter to me. But when you see this in the King James, it'll say all manner of conversation or let your conversation. It's really not talking about you sitting down and talking with somebody, although that would apply. That word conversation means the whole of your life. Let the conduct of who you are. So when we talk about about confession, I don't want to talk about just what's coming out of your mouth. I want to talk about what you're confessing with your life. When you look at everything I am, what does my life tell you I am? I can say a lot of things. I can say I'm a good dad. I can say I'm a good husband. I can say I'm a hard worker. I can say all of these things. But you can look at my life and you can see evidence of what I really am. Our pastor friend Wayne Holcomb, back when we would uh, visit back in Pennsylvania, he'd say, how are you doing? I'd say, I'm doing good. He said, I'll ask your wife and she'll tell, you, tell me how you're really doing. That's the idea because that really is the, is the confession of what we really believe. What comes out of our life. And so this idea of confession is about the connection of what's in my heart being professed, yes, out of my mouth. I think that's part of it. But if confession was only about your mouth, then somebody who is deaf and cannot speak could not confess and could not be saved. Everybody following me? So confession can't simply be about your mouth. It's also another good reason why speaking in tongues has nothing to do with salvation. Because otherwise, somebody who is mute, tongue-tied, would not be able to be saved. So it is about the connection of my heart. Yes, coming out of my mouth. Yes, the conduct of my, my vocabulary, the language I use. It shouldn't be the same language the world uses. I shouldn't be saying all the smutty, filthy things, the foul language. That shouldn't be a part of my life as a Christian. But way deeper than that is the whole of who I am. And that connection that I really kind of see it in this way. That there is a, a direct, true, unpolluted, completely aligned conduit through which flows the issues of my heart out of my life. Doesn't the book of Proverbs say that? Guard your heart. Because why? Because out of it are the issues of life. Guard your heart. Because you're gonna, people are going to see who you are by your life. They're going to know you by your works. They're going to understand what you really represent. So I want to look at a few things tonight that help us to understand that we can discover about confession just in this chapter. And I'm, I'm going to try to move as quickly as possible. But confession, again, and I'm going to give you some different angles so that you can kind of formulate the right understanding. Confession, again, is about that inward belief 
what I, what I really believe, aligning and coming out of my outward man. That's my confession. Believing in my heart, the Lord Jesus Christ is good. But if I don't confess with my mouth, then there is no salvation. That's Romans. We'll get there in a minute. So that connection. So I want, I want to look at a couple of things. Maybe some errors in thought. The first one is this. Just because you are professing faith does not mean you are confessing Jesus. Everybody following me there? Just because you profess faith does not mean you are confessing Jesus. This faith we have is specific and it is exclusive. It is not a club in which all religions join together in this ecumenicalism and we got a bumper sticker that says coexist. It's not the club. It's exclusive. And it is very specific. You cannot be saved believing in God. You cannot be saved trusting in the big guy. Salvation doesn't come from believing in Heavenly Father. All the Mormons believe in Heavenly Father. Salvation is directly tied to the revelation of who Jesus is. And you put in your trust fully and completely in that revelation, in my heart, and then I so believe in it that it begins to flow out of my heart and through my life. So we have to understand, Acts 4 and 12 says, and neither is there salvation in any other. But he say, any other. There's no other that there is salvation in except, where? In Jesus. You need to get that verse in your heart. You need to understand that. Because it's not about belief in God. It's not about belief in the big guy. It's not about belief in Heavenly Father. It's about belief in who Jesus said he is. And if you don't have that right, then there is no salvation. I'm not saying you've got to be theologically perfect. I'm not saying you have to have it all figured out and you've got to go through some quiz and if you don't answer every question perfectly, I believe some of that even has to do with the ability of our understanding. I think as a child, we can understand simply, we're teaching in kids' church who Jesus is and they say, I want to accept Jesus. This happened several times this year in the little ones. I want to accept Jesus. Do they understand about Jesus what I understand about Jesus? No. Is that a requirement for them for salvation? No, they are putting all of their faith in all that they know he is. So if you do not believe that Jesus is born of a virgin, you cannot be saved. If you do not believe that he is God incarnate, you cannot be saved. If you do not believe he rose from the grave, you cannot be saved. They are not optional uh, things that we could consider that, well, maybe I don't believe this portion, but I kind of believe this portion of who he says. He, either he tells the truth or he's a liar. Either Jesus is who he says he is, either Jesus is who this scripture says he is, or let's put the Bible down and let's just do something else altogether. Let's just meet because we all like guns. If, that's where, if we're not going to use the Bible, then let's just do it that way, right? Let's just meet because we have commonality. But this isn't about commonality in other things. We meet because we have commonality in who Jesus is. 
who he says he is. So neither is there salvation. No other name, no other person, no other power. Salvation is about seeing Jesus for who he is. Confession is the alignment of my heart with that revelation. Everybody following me? Salvation is about seeing Jesus. Confession is about aligning my life with that revelation. Can you have one without the other? How could you possibly align yourself to the word of Jesus if you do not believe what he says? How could you possibly accept who he says he is if you don't believe who he says he is? How could you confess without belief? And how can you believe without confession? Because out of the abundance of your heart, you're going to give evidence of what's going on in your life. Not out of the abundance of your mouth. You can say anything you want to say. You can talk about being a Christian. You can wear the bracelet. You can get the shirt. Got the fish on your forehead tattooed with the words in the middle. None of that's going to prove your faith in Christ. But the evidence of who you are is not going to be about something you say. It's not going to be about something specifically, one thing that you do. The evidence of your faith is going to be the whole of your life being poured out into everybody around you. In fact, this is what the book of Acts says. After you receive the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, you shall become witnesses of me. This is the evidence. The witness. How can I witness of something I have not seen? How? I was asked just the other day if I could be a character witness concerning an issue that's actually current. Um, I had some involvement of, of uh, knowledge about this, about this man, and I said, well, I can, I can give... Uh, I could give a character witness as to what I've seen in my own life, that he's a liar, that he's not, you know, not a good person, but this has nothing to do with what you're saying. So I didn't see that, so I have nothing to say on the issue. I can't be a witness of what I have not seen. And if I don't know who Jesus is, if we haven't been preaching Christ to you, say, Pastor, you and Pastor, all you do is preach Jesus and we get tired of it. We're trying to reveal him. Because if you see him, you become like him. And if you don't see him, you don't become like him. If you see him, you can witness of who he is. You can testify to those around you. If you don't see him, you've got nothing to say. So there's a constant thrust. Sir, we would see Jesus. We would see Jesus. That's what we're looking for. Uh, second thing I want to look at here. Miracles are not what the church needs to see today. That wasn't enough amen. I want all the church to say amen. amen. Confession does not result from miracles. I hear all of these songs about miracles, signs and wonders. I literally heard a song a couple weeks ago. I had never heard it before. I don't know what it means, but it just yells over and over again. Miracles, signs, and wonders are over my life. And then it goes to this other part, and I don't know what it means either. I may not see it, but I hear it. I hear it. What? What are we seeing? What are we hearing? And what are we even talking about? Are we looking for the miraculous? 
Because Jannies and Jambres did miraculous things and they were false prophets. Lying signs and wonders the scripture talks about. There's a church in Reading that's all about miracles, signs, and wonders. But verse 37, we read it right there, tells us that though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. I've heard it. Pastor, I know you've heard it. Just this, we, what we need in the church today is we need miracles because when we have miracles, then people will, will know who God is and they'll turn to God. People saw the greatest miracle worker to ever walk on this planet in Christ embodied on this earth. Saw all of the great things, greater things than we've ever seen. And did not believe in him. Everybody following me? Bethel is built on the premise of the supernatural. Literally, heaven invading earth. This concept, this thought of the supernatural running over into the natural. But I want to tell you tonight, if you're looking for miracles, you're missing the mark. I'm not here to see miracles. I'm here to see Jesus. That's what I'm looking for. I think the evidence is very clear, not just in this passage, it's all over the scriptures, but clearly in this passage, you can believe in miracles, you can confess miracles, you can trust in miracles, and you can see miracles and never come to a place of confession about Jesus in your life. Pastors testified told me, I think he shared from the pulpit at times, that he was, uh, I was a little, little guy, I don't remember it, but they had a kid coming in to the church, he was dying. Uh, did he have cancer it was? And, and, and he was dying, I mean, he was a young guy, and, and I think they wheeled him into the church. And, and man, we need prayer, he's dying, he has no hope. We prayed, they prayed for him, God raised him up, and they never saw the people again. Do you think God is interested in healing you so you can go back to living your old way? Is that what it's about? Because if it's just about miracles, then that is what it's about. If this is what it's about, if it's not about seeing Jesus, then we've got a problem. But you can go right over to John chapter 11, and you can find that Mary and Martha come to Jesus and say, our brother is dying, and, and you've got to hurry and get here. And he said, this sickness is not unto death, but that the Son of Man would be glorified. The miracle of Lazarus raising to life is not about Lazarus. In fact, when we get to uh, this 12th chapter, this is on the heels of that. This is what they're talking about. Though they had seen many miracles, they literally just watched Lazarus lay in a tomb for four days. Stinking. Jesus walks up. Tells them to roll the stone away. Calls Lazarus and he walks out. And yet they do not believe in him. I'd say there's a lot of Christians across this land right now that if there was a false preacher, a false prophet that, that walked up to a, a sepulcher, a, a tomb, and called somebody out of the grave, he could say, I'm the devil. And a lot of people would think he was the Christ. Just based on the desire to see the miraculous, yet Jesus, God in the flesh, revealing who God is, 
does these miracles and they do not believe. Miracles do not result in true confession. Now, if you're in a need of a miracle, we believe God does them. But I've, asked, I've been asked at times throughout the ministry that, you know, 25 years now, would you pray for me in this area? Would you do this? Would you pray for me in that area? But the truth is, you know, I, I've had a lot of, let's say, for example, a lot of drug addicts, and we were doing the park ministry, come up and say, well, you know what? Listen, I need prayer. I'm messed up. I, I've got, I'm bound in drugs. And you know what? My, my children need something better than this. Not going to work. There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in your children need something better than this. If you're not there to see Jesus, he can set you free. You'll go right back into bondage. Unless you find the son, there is no freedom for you. So the revelation of who Jesus is is vital. It's not about the miracle. If you need a miracle, we're going to believe. But we're going to believe that you would be in health and prosper as your soul prospers. Not that you would be in health and prosper. Everybody wants to be in health and everybody wants to prosper. I need a miracle. No, you need Jesus. Jesus is the miracle worker, and he can do whatever you need in your life, whatever your situation. If you are terminal, we are praying for God to heal. We believe it, but it's about seeing Jesus. Regardless of whether you're healed or regardless of whether you die sick, if you see Jesus, everything's okay. But if you're healed and you do not see Jesus, everything is not okay. You'll get sick again, and you'll die. It's appointed unto man to die. We're not going to escape it. So in this life, what needs to happen is that we need to recognize him for who he is. Jesus spoke about an evil and adulterous generation who were looking for miracles, signs, and wonders, but that no sign... This is, anybody, has this struck anybody else as such a, such a strange thing that is skipped over? But no sign would be given them except for the sign of the prophet Jonah who was in the well three days and three nights and so shall be the son of man. What is that about? He, he say, listen, I'm not giving any other sign. Look at me. That's exactly what he is saying. This is the sign for you. See me for who I am. And if you're not willing to do that, I've got nothing else for you. If you can't recognize in all the, the fulfilled um, messianic prophecy and in all the acts that he did that, that clearly showed who he was, if you can't see that, what are we going to give you? Some other prophet? We're going to have some other prophet come along and tell you about who he is because you don't want to believe him? So we're not looking for miracles to be revealed in this place. We are looking for Jesus to be revealed in this place. Everybody say amen. Point number three, reading the Bible does not mean that you will have accurate confession. <laughs> the Jews who are standing here, this group from 37 to 43, remember the Gentiles, they don't have the law and the prophets. They don't have the Old Testament. Now maybe they've heard of it, maybe they've read some of it, but it's not given to them. It's given to who? The children of Israel. The Jews are standing before him. They are educated in all of the prophecy. They are, they are uh, 
taught and schooled in everything to expect Messiah from the time they're little till the time they become of working age. This is what they do. And then some of them go on and say, you know what, I'm not going to work. I'm going on into the priesthood and I'm going to do, I'm going to do further study. They're reading the, what we would call the Bible, their old, our Old Testament, their scripture, reading it and it doesn't produce confession in their life. You can read the Bible and get it all wrong. All the cults started with this. Every one of them. They all spin off of this. They all work off of the premise of, of some of these things. They take the Word of God and twist it to their benefit. But you can read the Word of God, and if you don't have it rightly divided then you're going to have some problems. There are tons of people around him at this time, crowds of people reading the scripture, but they have no idea about who Jesus really is. There's a lot of people preaching the gospel in America who have no idea about who Jesus really is. Most people don't understand that this is about him. I know that sounds crazy. Well, yeah, I know it's like the story of his coming. We read in the New Testament, and it's a story of his coming. Well, you're missing the almost 400 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning his coming. You're missing the thread that ties it all together. Some people read the Bible and see social justice. I don't know how. Jesus never addressed it. Not one time. Paul addressed it. He said, if you're a slave, be a good one. Am I wrong? If you're a master, be a good one. Paul didn't touch it. The Bible is not about social justice. The word of God is not about you getting what you want and, and going, things going your way and, and righting the wrongs that have been committed against your... That's not what the scripture is about. Some people read the Bible and see love. Some people read the Bible and see judgment. Some people read the Bible and see grace. Some see heaven. Some see hell. Some see formulas. Some see laws and rules. Some see convictions and some see liberty. But everybody's reading the Bible. And if you're finding anything other than the revelation of who Jesus is, you're missing the word of God. It's not about any of those things. Does God love? Yes. Amazing love. Is there grace? Yes. It's amazing grace. Are there laws? Oh, yes. There's laws. There's, there's ordinances and regulations and rules, of course. Satan is blinding the eyes of people all across our country. Mixed throughout every denomination, the blinders are being applied. His effort is to keep people from seeing who Jesus is. This book from the front to the back is full of a revelation of Christ. And I love this that so many years ago, pastor began to talk about this, and it's just been, it's been in my heart ever since then, that there is a thread that ties together all of the loose thought 
It brings it all in and it begins to point to who Jesus is. And line upon line and precept upon precept and prophecy and, and scripture lines up and it begins to tell us the evidence of who he is. Blindness results in confusion. It does not result in confession. Remember I said if we cannot see, then we cannot confess because we can't witness of what we have not seen. So the result, when Satan begins to uh, obscure the view of who Jesus is in our lives, in, in the church, in the nation, whatever, whatever level we want to go to, then it results in blindness, and blindness always leads to confusion. And anything that draws our attention away from him is confusion. It's confusion. And that's why we have to work so hard. We don't want to see The focus dimmed. We don't want to see his light put down even a little bit. We want to see him illuminated. That's what we're always preaching, singing, teaching, talking about who Jesus is. That's why we sing the song, let me tell you who Jesus is. Because if you can see him, then you can confess him. Number four. Believing does not equal confessing. Verse 42 in this chapter said that many believed even among the chief rulers. But because they feared, they would not confess him. Again, there's this idea that we only have to believe in order to experience salvation in our life. That belief, and so there's this thrust always being made. What do we do? Let's get a big stadium. Let's have some kind of a, of a Christian rock concert. Get a, a bunch of people in there. At the end of it, say, hey, how many of you want to go to hell? Nobody. Okay. How many of you want to go to heaven? Me. Okay. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Sure. Okay, you're in. Say this prayer. Believing doesn't equal confession. And confession is not about saying a few words out of your mouth. Confession is about a life that exudes Christ. Flows from us. That's the confession. So it's it's popular to say today that if you believe, then your ticket is punched. You're good. You're in the door. It doesn't really matter how you live. Rodney got into an argument with a youth pastor a few weeks ago, or a young adults pastor a few weeks ago. Uh, argument, a discussion of opposing opinions. Uh, and he said, the guy believes, he says, well, yeah, you believe and, and uh, you, you say the prayer. If you say the prayer, that's what they're all about. You say the prayer, you're in. And Rodney says, well, but... What happens if after you say the prayer, you say, I hate God, I do not want to go to heaven. Under any circumstances, I reject all that Jesus is. What happens? You go to heaven. How do we get there? Because we've got some misconstrued idea that belief equals confession. We've got another misconstrued idea that speaking equals confession. 
So if I can get you to say specific words, then that means you got your ticket punched. But that's just simply not true. Look at Romans 10, 9, and 10 really quickly. I, I, I alluded to it earlier, but I want to look at it just so you can see in your own Bible. See, it's not, Pastor Rodney's not making this up. Look at how this goes. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Remember, confession is the connection of the two, right? So I can't confess something with my mouth that I don't believe in my heart, and whatever I believe in my heart is ultimately going to come out of my mouth. The lifestyle of my life, look at verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now, I don't want to remove the need from anybody here tonight, make you think that we don't need to make verbal confession. If you're ashamed to praise God, if you're ashamed to worship, you're ashamed to say, God is, Jesus is, has done so much in my life, I would say you probably do not know him. Yes, I believe in, in verbally saying words of, Lord, I need you to cleanse my life. I need you to be the savior of who I am. But if you get down at an altar and say those words and get up out from that altar and do not live the life that results from those words, those words are not your confession. Why? Because they don't line up with the heart. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, Confession is made unto salvation. So salvation is the result of the connection, the congruency of your life. When your life aligns with everything that Jesus is, that, the result of that is salvation for you. If your belief doesn't result in confession, then you have a wrong belief and you have missed salvation. If what you say about believing in Jesus doesn't change the way you live your life, then the actions of your life prove that you are a liar. Everybody good? Amen. They prove that what you're saying out of your mouth is not what you believe in your heart. If the conduct of your life doesn't match the revelation of Jesus, then your confession stinks. It's a poor confession. It's a bad confession. And you can't be in the light, and walk in the darkness. It's impossible. You, if you are in the light, then you walk in the light. That's what the scripture instructs us to do. Walk in the light as he is in the light, and you will have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you from all your sins. That's the result. I don't care what the religious world is saying about salvation simply being believing. Confessing is not simply speaking. It doesn't matter if every church in the country all of a sudden decides that all you have to do is say a prayer. I don't care. The scripture does not say this. And we have to understand that it is the surrender of our life to who he is, to his leadership, to his lordship. And if we do not do that, then we miss the mark. The truth is that if you love the praise of men, you will never confess Jesus. I know it kind of seems popular to talk about, talk about Jesus, but it really isn't popular to talk about Jesus. It's more popular to get up at the end of the big Super Bowl or the 
national championship football game and say, I just want to thank God for everything you've done in my life. No. I thank God because I wouldn't be here without him. Who? What God and why? How? Where? Who are we talking about here? It's a lot less popular to say, you know what, I'm, I'm a believer in Jesus. But do you believe homosexuality is wrong? Well, he does, so I do. That's not popular. You're going to confess that, you're not going to be on the Wheaties box. So if you love the glory of men, you don't want to be messing with Jesus. You don't want to be talking about who he is. This is exactly what happened, that even the chief rulers, even some of those who understood the law, they had it all lined up and they went, this is him. Can you believe that? They said, this is him. But because they feared being put out of the synagogue by the Pharisees, they would not confess. Do you think they were saved? Jesus didn't. He goes on in the next several verses to immediately address it and says, Hey, listen, if you, if you believe in me, you believe in the one who sent me. If you do not believe in me, you do not believe in the one who sent me. And if your works do not act upon the belief in your heart, you don't even know me. That's what he goes on to address. Because he understood that immediately there was an issue. So I want to I close with this. I'm finished. Let me make a couple of comments about confession one more time in closing. Confession is not just about saying words. It's about making sure my heart lines up with the revelation of who Jesus is. And the actions, the words, the conversation of my life lines up with my heart. God's not going to start on your outside. Is God going to change your outside? How many would say God's changed your outside? But God's not starting on your outside. God's far less worried about the dirt on the outside of the cup. He's a lot more worried about the dirt on the inside of the cup. Because the Spirit of God is not going to dwell in dirty vessels. So God works inside of us. He's going to start on the inside. He's going to begin to to change us, and that's where he's dealing with our heart. Talking to you, revealing to you who he is, establishing relationship with you, so that you can speak to him, so that you can hear him, so that when he says no, then you say, okay, that's the Lord, I need to not do that. When he says go, you say, okay, that's the Lord, I need to do that. He's going to work on your inside. Yes, the outside is going to be a reflection of what's going on on the inside. But if you get the outside right and you got the inside wrong, you missed. You're not in. But I will say this. If you get the inside right and the outside still a little bit messed up, I'd feel a lot more confident in that position. If you're going to get one thing right, it better be your heart, is what I'm saying. If you get the heart right, everything else takes care of itself. If you don't get the heart right, and we have a lot of issues. Confession is essential for salvation. It's essential. It is the alignment of my life with the revelation that Christ brings. That's where salvation begins. Confession of Jesus as Lord and Master of my life is essential for salvation. I want everybody to listen to this verse. For by grace 
you are saved. And that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Everybody say gift. And not of works. Lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2. Your salvation cannot be tied to anything you do. If it is tied to anything you do, then it is of works. And we take security in the work. Our salvation is directly the result of Jesus' grace extended to our lives. Our confession of the surrender of everything I am to the leadership and the lordship of Jesus is salvation. Yes, there are works as the result of salvation in our lives. Yes, God's going to change. Like I said, the the inside, he's going to change my heart. He's going to change the outside. But there can be nothing tied to your salvation that has to do with works. All All the godly men and women say, amen. Because this is the word of God. It's not, this isn't Pastor Rodney's words. This isn't our idea. The Apostle Paul dealt with this so many times. It is about what God is doing. It is about seeing Jesus. Confession that I empty myself and receive the Spirit of Christ is essential for salvation. This is a big argument in, in, a, you know, in the Trinitarian side of the world. The argument is that you get the second definite work of, of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Anybody heard that terminology before? You know, the second definite work. Well, I, I got, a, I got a, a problem with that because Romans 8 and 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of His. How can you be saved without receiving Christ's Spirit? How? It is the reception of that spiritual life into me that now I am alive in spirit because of Christ. So the confession, the the emptying of myself, and the receiving of the Spirit of Christ is essential for salvation. But receiving the Holy Ghost is not. This pastor said a couple of weeks ago, um, the ghost is an apparition, it's it's an add-on, it's not something that's scriptural anyway, it's spirit. And that spirit is the Spirit of Christ, it's not another spirit. It's not another one. It's not something different. Receiving Christ into my life. What did you get if you didn't get Christ? I don't know. And that's what scares me. We've got a lot of people who are receiving a lot of things. But if it's not Jesus, then I don't, I don't want it. How many would say amen to that? I don't want it if it's not Jesus. So the emptying of myself and saying, Lord, I want your spirit in my life. It is vital. Well, Pastor Rodney, I want to argue with you theologically on this point. Okay, maybe, maybe we could. Maybe we could discuss it, but I can tell you that we will never err in making Jesus central. You can have different thoughts. We have all these different thoughts throughout all these denominations, and I'm not throwing stones at anybody here tonight with that. I'm saying that we can have all kinds of thought, but what we need to do is focus on Christ and receiving him into our lives. So I I finish with this. Salvation is 100% about Jesus. It's about nothing else. It's about no one else. And confession is about what you do with Jesus. It's not just receiving him. Lord, come into my heart and let me be exactly as I was. No, I don't think that's the prayer. 
Come into my life, Lord, and change me. What I do with him, how I let him affect me, how I let him work in my life is the confession of my heart. So I want to ask you this then, after all that being said, I don't care if you've done it before, but if you understand maybe something you hadn't thought of before, then I just want you to, in your own words, and I'm not looking for some kind of big external show, but just in your own, I want you to bow your heads, and I just want you to begin to say, Lord, I'm going to make a confession before you right now in your own heart. This is what I believe you are. Just take a minute. This is what I know you to be, and this is the amount of surrender that I'm willing to do about the revelation of who I know you are. Because this is where salvation begins. Whether you've made this prayer uh, countless times, whether you've, whether you've rededicated or dedicated so many years ago and have been faithfully serving God, we need to continually make confession. Lord, this is who I know you are. This is what I understand you are. Jesus, that you are God. That you brought salvation to me. That is your grace that extends to me. Lord, and that I want to live my life for you. I want to please you with everything I am. I don't want to make excuses for myself. I don't want to go my own way and do my own thing. Lord, I want to please you with my life. Lord, these are the confessions that we make tonight. This is where my heart is, Lord. Come on, just take one more minute and just tell him that. Tell him what's, what's ringing in your heart. I, you don't have to believe what I believe. You don't have to know what I know. You may know more than me, but tonight you just say, Lord, this is what I know you are. This is my confession. Lord, and now help me to live it. Help me to live this. God, as I get up from these pews and I go out into my job and in my home, help me to live this. Lord, help me to be affected by your word. Let there be a true congruency between my heart in my mouth. Jesus, let your spirit work in my life. God, we're not here for any other reason. We're not here for our glory. We're not here for echoes of Calvary. Lord, we're here to honor you. I feel the Lord speaking to somebody's heart right now. I don't hardly ever do this. But maybe for the first time or maybe the first time in a long time you say, I, I want to follow Jesus with my life. From this point forward, I want Jesus to be my Lord, my Master, my Savior. Why don't you just lift your hand to Him right now as a sign. I, I just feel God speaking to somebody right now. It's not a sign to me. It's a sign to the Lord. God, I want, I want you to move. I want you to, I want you to work in my life. Oh, God, we thank you for your faithfulness towards your body. God, we thankful, we're thankful, Lord, that we can call upon your name and that you are, a, you are a faithful friend and a help in the time of trouble. Jesus, we see you for who you are. We pray, Lord, that in this Church, Lord, that you would give us fresh revelation, that you would help us to see you in areas maybe we have not yet. 
And Jesus, we just pray that you would receive all glory and honor. Amen.